Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener. I've been using Scrivener since 2014, and I never looked back. It's an amazing tool for writers, and then it lets you build research in the same document that you're doing your work. You can put in images and PDFs. You can organize your work using the corkboard view. You can set goals. You can export it to multiple formats, including ebook and manuscript. There's really nothing Scrivener can't do in the writing universe, and I highly recommend it, which is why I'm so pleased that they're a sponsor. If you'd like to check them out, you can follow the link from our website or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code STORYDISCOVERY at checkout. If you're a writer and you haven't tried Scrivener, I highly recommend it. Give Scrivener a try. You won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. On today's show, you'll hear selected poems written by Sandra Newton and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Selected Poems by Sandra Newton Lang Lang My most vivid memory is fragrance. Heavy clouds of jasmine, like an iron pendant hanging from the bright yellow flowers. But more, an undertone of the bitter orange nearly with just a tinkling of metallic, savored on the tongue. When deeply inhaled, there is the remembrance of custard, of banana, even of the rubber nipple of a baby's bottle. So aroma and taste enfold, to feeling, and in the mind's eye is the sharp scene of a dusty road where the langlang trees bow low in the moonlight, and their flaxen blossoms throw their scent to the stars. Yet this memory is not my own, but my father's, of a tropical place far from here, which I only imagine when he closes his eyes and speaks of home. Confusion. I woke up at four this morning, with poetry in my mouth, but the lines tangled together, like strings of old Christmas lights, left in a box too long. I pressed my lips together, afraid that words would spill out and never be retrieved again. I'd be left with a voice that uttered only useless syllables. I shut tight my eyes, afraid the meaning would hop, the optic nerve and drain like tears, cried for a lost love or a dead son, 
through my tired vision. And I rested quietly on my pillow, following the poem's rhythm, dancing from ear to ear, in my head still rumpled with sleep, and on the soft, damp edges of my hair. When I stood up, there was the dizzying attack of vertigo, and all the poetry swirled away into that eddy of weightless dark. Fade The songs of my childhood sometimes drift through my brain in disjointed and lost notes played on a piano worn with time and kneading its strings adjusted, its felt hammers brushed smooth again. The faces of my life, like stones in a swift river, seen but only through the water's ripples and under the current of motion, swirling fast and away, clear, blurred images, smoothed away more each day. And once so clear in my head, the taste of your lips, the amusement in your eyes, your hands, legs, body, voice. Once as firm as polished wood in my hand, now just splinters of memory and details that fade when neurons sigh before they die and disappear. Morning. February cold, still dark at 6 a.m. So I see you. Morning star. Venus, shining so brightly in the clear sky. You have been there all night. The jilted lover who waited unfulfilled. Evening star, whose promise is broken, snapped in two. And your brilliance, I know, nothing more than the glistening of your sorrowful tears, hardly different from the cold stars and indifferent moon. Old Friends we compare the ways in which our arthritic index fingers have bent, and how often we now have to get up at night to pee, or how our lives hate sleeping in the night, and wake before the dawn to start another pointless day. We laugh at our infirmities as unwanted gifts of getting old, climbing the stairs at a far slower pace, taking so much longer to unscrew a new jar of pickles, counting out the weekly meds for heart, blood pressure, sugar. We commiserate about feeling cold or listless or tired, about the foods we once loved but now give us indigestion, about the shoes we used to prance in and now gather closet dust, about our bodies that, once crouched, cannot straighten up again, about the places we've been 
and those we'll never get to see. And very carefully, very pointedly, very precisely, we do not speak of heartbreak or loneliness or sadness that set at our bedside until we get up in the dark mornings and they become the shadows of our day, silent, vigilant, our companions. You've just listened to Selected Poems by Sandra Newton. Welcome to the post-story portion of the podcast. I'm your co-host, Melissa, here with JW. Hello. We have Sandra on the show today to discuss her beautiful poetry and also to get to know the mind behind this work. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you. Hello. We are so excited to have you on the show today and to talk about your poetry. Sandra has many writing talents, and she has been published in, with texts, essays, fiction, and most recently, poetry in online and print journals. So let's find out more. Who is Sandra Newton? I uh... No pressure. No pressure. Okay. <laughs> That's already pressure. <laughs> um, I like to think of myself, and I describe myself as a city kid. I was born and raised, went to school in New York City, uh, and now I've been moved out uh, by circumstance to Austin, Texas, uh, where I've retired. Uh, and I like it, but I'm still a city kid, as you can probably <laughs> tell from my voice um, <laughs> and the way I pronounce things. And um, I like writing, and I've come back to writing after a long absence. Um, and I guess that's mostly what you need to know about me at this point. You know. Okay. Well, um, we do dive into the works usually pretty quickly, so... You have five poems here in this edition on this show. And can you walk us through them a little bit? Tell us a little bit about each one. Sure. Uh, Ilang Ilang is a poem that I wrote mostly for my father. Um, he uh, came from the Philippines in 1922 uh, and never got back. Uh, so he always talked about home and the things that he remembered from the Philippines. And mm. I, I've been trying to put together a group of poems about him and his experiences in the United States in a very different time from what it's like today. Mm -hmm. And uh, this poem is about one of the flowering plants in the Philippines that he always spoke about, very strong fragrance. And he always talked about that as if there was a romance involved with it, but yeah. he never he never said what that romance was. So we let it huh, go with that. Yeah, that so. is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I should tell you when he he went back, we brought him back to the Philippines when he got really sick, um, and he wanted to go home. So we brought him back home, and he died there. Um, hmm. And when I went back for the funeral. I was talking to relatives who I'd never known before. I had never been in the Philippines myself. I was born here in the United States. And we were looking at a photo album of my father's that I brought with me because he couldn't tell me the names of people in the pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was showing them the pictures, one of my cousins 
said to me, that's my mother. Oh. And, I, and I said, why is your mother's picture in my father's album? And we finally pieced together that her mother and my father had been not lovers, but girlfriend and boyfriend in the Philippines. Oh. Oh. And, wow. and apparently it was serious. And he kind of sneaked out of town <laughs> in the middle of the night and came to the United States. Um, <laughs> I, he was wow. young. I think he didn't want to get married. But she remembered him and kept letters that he wrote her. Uh, and only when she was much older and her daughter was grown and married. Her daughter married one of my cousins. That's how she ended up being my cousin. Um, oh, okay. And, okay. And that's how she said... Now I know why your why my mother told me to burn these letters that I found in the bottom of her closet <laughs> because they wow. were from my father. Yeah, it was one of those oh my goodness. weird stories of people who are not related suddenly being related to one another. <laughs> right, right. So that whole history of my my father's side of the family has always fascinated me, and so that's one of the poems that comes out of that fascination. Yeah, I really enjoy it from the perspective of it starts off as a memory, which you obviously assume is the author's, and then yeah. you get to the bottom or the last stanza, and it's not. And I think that's super creative. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Thank you. I, I just, you know, I wanted, I wanted to express how I think he felt about that uh, yeah. and what it meant to him. And the only way I could do that was from my own perspective as a stranger to it yeah. but it but it mm -hmm. like overwhelming me because it was so strong a fragrance so that's mm. that's the story behind that particular poem i love yeah. that i think there's such beautiful wording in here and i don't know if it's purposeful but you have words like heavy and deeply and sharp and things that kind of really make an impression and and I think that's so interesting that they come up some things that really make an impression and because this the smell made an impression. Yeah, thank you. I was trying to I was trying to combine that synesthesia thing of yeah. combining the senses that one sense can be expressed in another, you know, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. And and so that's really what I was aiming for was you you look at it, you could see the plant because I try to describe its color, yeah. that kind of thing, but you also can smell it and you can you can almost taste, taste it. it. Yeah. That that kind of thing. So that's really what I was aiming at. So thanks. Mm. I think I semi succeeded anyway. You did. <laughs> you did. I love it. And I think my favorite line is in the moonlight and their flax and blossoms throw their scent to the stars. I just that, read that over and over again. I love that. <laughs> There's always a line that I get married to. And that was the line that I kind of in the poem that I thought, okay, no matter what else I change, I'm not changing that yes! line. <laughs> yes. I knew because... it. I felt it. I love that. <laughs> What about confusion? This is very interesting. I, this is, this probably describes pretty accurately my process for writing poetry. <laughs> um, you know, I, it, and sometimes it, it ends up being a poem and sometimes it ends up just going out into the ether and being nothing, uh, essentially. But that's, that's what this is. I mean, and it's true. I did wake up one morning and I thought, there was poetry in my head that I dreamt something that was poetic, but I, for the life of me, could not remember what it was. <laughs> and, mm. and so this poem is in place of whatever that poetic thing was. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a substitute poem. All right. so. 
I love it. It worked out well. You know what it reminded me of is there are times when I will have in this twilight sleep or in a, in a moment where I can't write something down, I'll have this grand idea. And later, I'll try to recapture it, and I can't recapture it. And that's what I felt. That's what I yeah. felt. And so I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, this is very similar. It has to yeah. be what, what is going on here. Yeah, I agree. That's totally a writer thing right there. Yeah. And I, <laughs> the, you, you know that feeling that you get when you have this idea that is um, immensely satisfying and you, you know that people are going to relate to it and it's just like pure flow. I don't know what to call it. And then you're in the car or whatever and then you get home. And you're like, where's the flow? Yes. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. It took yeah. off. Sometimes you might get pieces of it, but yeah. this is gorgeous. I really loved it. One of my favorite yeah. lines on this was with poetry in my mouth, but the lines tangled together. Like, I mean, it's just also um, yeah. visual and textual. It was really fun. It is. Thank you. Thank you. I do wonder what the other poem was, though. That, that we, that we <laughs> so why? <laughs> but this one is beautiful. I do love that line, too. There's a slight frustration in old Christmas lights tangling. And so there's, there's a frustration here, too, with, of yeah. lost words. So, All right. So Fade, I guess, is that our next one? Hmm. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is one of those poems I was really more interested in, one, two, three, the third stanza. Um, and I, I was thinking of someone in particular. And the first two stanzas are really kind of leading up to that and the loss that I feel in that third stanza of someone that I thought I remembered very sharply and as time goes by that the memory fades or Mm -hmm. it changes you know you think you hear someone's voice but you don't now remember what their voice sounds like uh, you oh, think yeah. you remember what they were like, how they smiled, that kind of thing, and it's no longer with you. It's, it's a, it's kind of a false memory. It's like, yeah, I'm sure it's there, but it's not really there anymore. And it's just, it's a, I guess it's a poem about how things fade, how everything fades in our lives. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We can't keep things in sharp focus. There's too much goes on in our lives as we live that we lose. We, we lose that that focus that sharpness and that's so the poem is kind of a sad regret of that loss yeah it's it's yeah. very powerful i love the the clear blurred images and you know yeah. i can just thank you i just i kept looking at that line and i kept thinking why am i saying that and that is exactly how i felt that the it was clear that they were blurry yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> and how do you say that without sounding contradictory? I, well, I love it. It's a beautiful contradiction, but it works so well. It works so it captures that so well. But my favorite line is, well, I don't know if it's my favorite in this one, because this is the this is one you just kind of want to read again and again. But mm, I agree. When neurons sigh. Isn't that just lovely? When neurons sigh. But like, isn't that what regret. they do? Yeah, I mean, I think brain cells die. You know, right. they don't replenish. And so I think if 
they die, they must make some sound. It's the, you know, <laughs> does a tree in the forest make a sound? Well, does your brain sound make a sound? There's a neuron in your sound? brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so all these little sighs are going on in your head. You know? Oh, that is so cute. It's cute and it's powerful. I'm a medical person too. So when I, neurons, I, you know, I did, worked in brain and spine and so neurons mean something to me not that they don't to anybody else but (laughs) the neuron sigh I just love that and so now I'm forever going to hear that every every time one of mine dies I hear that little sigh (laughs) well let me ask this because I am curious whether this is intentional or not that one of the things I find about poetry is sometimes things come out and people interpret them, I mean, the same with writing, um, with meaning that maybe wasn't there. But one of the things I also liked about this poem is, you know, you you start off with these pretty decent long stanzas, multiple um, word lines. And, you know, and you're talking about the, how the things fade over time. And then when you get down to the end, it's a very short stanza, stanza made up of very short sentences or lines, you know, <gasps> Did you two words. And was that purposeful? Because it's sort of, you know, related to the theme. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> See, that's you should have I... just said yes. Yeah, no, no. I have to say this. I, I sincerely believe in the intentional fallacy. That is, it, there does not need to be something in the poem that the author, the poet, intended. I. The best thing about poetry is that someone sees something in it that you, as the writer, didn't see at all, and you mm-hmm. think, yeah. "Wow." That's really nice. (laughs) Right, right. It kind of gives you an ego boost. Your subconscious is in fire. Wow, I'm really smart. (laughs) And I believe that's probably one of the best things about poetry is that people, readers, bring to it more than the author, the poet, intended. And so Mm. that enriches the poem immediately. And, yes. and and so the poem, I mean, once it's down on paper and it's out there, it's not mine anymore. It's just, it's there. It's its own self. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then what you bring to it just enriches it that much more. Right, so right. I'm sorry, no, I didn't mean it, but I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, I can say it wasn't something I noticed on the first read, but, uh-huh. um, you know, reading it again later is when I, I kind of, you know, realize that the poem kind of fades off the page and i just thought wow that's oh that's nice fascinating and beautiful yeah, yeah. very sharp jw i did not catch that but i love that yes i do too thank you i'll make a note you're welcome <laughs> uh, this is a lot of fun all right okay so what's up next morning morning is uh i feed two feral cats every morning they- <laughs> They come to my back door and they wait there. It's my fault for starting to feed them to begin with, but they wait there. And one morning I went out with two dishes of food and there was the morning star, Venus. And so I came and I thought there was nothing else in the sky. The sun hadn't risen yet. The moon was on the other side of the house or someplace. I don't know. I'm not an astronomer, so I I don't know about those <laughs> things. But it was, yeah. I don't know if the sky was cloudy, and that's why that bright star was the only star in the sky. But it hung there in the sky, and I thought, I don't, what is that? Is that a star? or what? So I came in the house, and I went on my computer, and I looked everything up. And what is a bright star in the sky at this time of the day or night? And 
And that's and it was Venus, which is the morning star and also the evening star. And it's uh-huh. on that basis that I I said, all right, there's and it's Venus. Venus is the goddess of love. This is supposed mm. to be something romantic and beautiful. Uh-huh. And it seemed so cold and lonely uh-huh. and sad. And that's why I wrote the poem that I did was was another view of the morning star, the evening star, whatever you want to call it, as something alone and destitute um, and left by itself. So, mm-hmm. so that's the poem. That's the meaning of the poem, if there's meaning. I love sure. that. I love that you captured that, that sensation that you had and you were observant to, to see it and have an experience. I think we go through life you know, we're, we're in, you know, America, it's just, you know, you go from one thing to another, you don't really pay attention to the things around you. And there, you can see in this, there's a beauty to just stopping and looking and you look at, at what you got out of it. And I think it's a beautiful thing to just to stop and have that moment and make a connection. And, and I'm not a, you know, I'm a city kid. I don't see a lot of stars in the sky. Yeah, there yeah. aren't usually a lot of stars in the sky. So being here in Texas, has helped me to connect more with natural, with the natural things in life. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, and we don't always necessarily go into all as much detail on all these poems, but this is a lot of fun this time. So (laughs) appreciate your indulging us. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the last one we've got is old friends. Okay. Old friends is really, it started out trying to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) And then Um, it turned depressing. (laughs) And, and then, yeah, and then it turned kind of depressing. Um, but I did, I had house guests for two or three days, and one of them was my cousin, and she's a little bit younger than I am, but we're essentially the same age. And we both were complaining about the same things. You know, oh, look, I have arthritis in this finger, and, you know, you're making these. What kind of conversations? Young people don't have conversations like this. <laughs> and I thought, this is really, this is terrible that that's, but it's kind of funny that that's, we have something to talk about. Yeah. One-upping each other a- on your ailments. and pains, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, and so that's how it started. But then I realized that, that we were talking around something else that nobody ever mentions. And that is, we don't mention how, Age brings with it loss. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. we now, now that I'm older, I know more people who died than I do who are alive. And that's kind of sad. Um, yeah. And so you start to wake up with that feeling that grief and sorrow are always, they're going to be part of your life now. And you yeah. just, you need to adjust to that. You need to accept that, that they're there. And there's nothing you can do about it. it. That's what life is. It's it leads to age, and age leads to dying and loss. And you know, yeah. so, and I I, mm. I I mean I don't say it here, but one of my greatest losses was of my son. He was oh. uh, he was only 43, mm. um, and you always expect your children, of course, to outlive you. Of course, um, sure. And and when that doesn't happen, I mean that that's probably. That was one of the factors that sent me back into poetry after a long only writing for myself into, all right, I want to write and I want to I really be serious about this, was that poetry was my emotional way of 
dealing with loss. Wow, mm-hmm. that's really, uh, that's touching. Um, so you, you just put yourself and raw emotion into your poetry. Yeah, I think it's necessary. It's the only way that, I mean, poetry is in itself the most pure use of language. Yeah. Um, and so if it's so pure, it deals with the purest of emotions, and emotions at their very core, not covered over with sentiment and that kind of thing, yeah. but, but real feelings. So, yes. I like that. I think mm. you're, you harnessing that and putting it onto the page and being vulnerable and raw, it shows because I'm really connected to your poetry. Uh, and the way that you write, the way that you use language, you know, you can tell you're drawing from something else. You know, you're drawing from something deep. And I love that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, then I'm going to change gears here a little bit because this it piqued my curiosity in the biomaterials that you sent, which is medieval literature. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you have a background in medieval literature. Yeah. And I, uh, tell us a little bit about that. And, and <laughs> does that filter its way into your I ju- writing? I, or? I had, as an undergraduate, I had a Chaucer instructor who was so fascinating and so interesting. I, I You need to know I didn't finish the class. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was not the greatest student for a while. So. <laughs> but it was his love of Chaucer that always stayed with me. And the way he taught that, I just thought... This is the greatest stuff in the world, and I want to know more about it. Um, And so when I went on for a a master's degree, I thought, well, what do I want to work in? I know I'll do something related to the Middle Ages, and I like the period. I'm fascinated by the the times and how different it was, and and I like movies about the Middle Ages, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) So, so you know, I'm kind of stuck on that. And my doctorate was one of these weird kind of, the only thing that, that the professor would allow students to do was to edit manuscripts that had never been edited before. And so he Hmm. would find Ah. them. He would find them in museums or libraries all over the world and say to his prospective doctoral student, all right, here, you're going to do this. There was no choice. There was not real. It was Fordham University, very Jesuit school kind of thing. You do this and you (laughs) don't do anything else. And that's all there was to it. Right, right. That's how it works. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so he ended up giving me something from an English uh, religious writer. Um, he translated the Psalms, some of the Psalms, the biblical Psalms, from Latin into English, Middle English. And so I ended up with the first 15 of these. All right, wow. go out and now find all the manuscripts that have been made from his original work and hmm. get copies of them and then edit all of them, which meant compare each one word by word by word wow wow that sounds tedious there were yes it was there were 15 (laughs) manuscripts and so i had this long table and i would go from one manuscript to the other this one says the this one says uh this oh my goodness (laughs) and i'd have to make a note on each change in each manuscript that took a year I can yeah. see how. My um, goodness. Just, and I mean, it just, it, it wasn't creative at all, but it was, it was soothing. I don't know how else to, yeah. to describe it. It was, oh, okay, I know exactly what I have to do. Yeah. Th- there's no 
thought process involved. It's just mechanical. <laughs> do this and get it done and go through the and that's what I did. And mm. I, that I was sane at the end of all of that speaks volumes about <laughs> what a doctor is supposed to be. It, it either drives you crazy or you come out of it sane. So that's you know, that, that. And since then, I have never read anything about the Middle Ages or, <laughs> or read any literature from the Middle Ages. That's it. I've had my fill. Oh, I'm done. Oh, okay. <laughs> word, word by oh. word, 15 word manuscripts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll do I it. I was hoping maybe you had some lyrical poetry in your hat past or something, you know, some limericks or something. I don't know. What do no. they call that? <laughs> I used to recite when my son was born, I used to recite Chaucer to him. To put him back to sleep. So oh, that's uh, excellent. That's you know, in Middle English, not not in translation <laughs> in Middle English. <laughs> wow, it's impressive. I love that. Do you think it affected his speech? Did I he... don't, <laughs> no, but we vacationed when he when he was two years old. We vacationed in Grenada, and that affected his speech. Okay, <laughs> he came out speaking like like Caribbean. Scented English, and I thought, where is this coming from? <laughs> but that it, is adorable. It didn't last long enough, but uh, that was yeah. okay. <laughs> that is so cute. I could just hear a little kid in Middle English speaking too, but now Caribbean. It, that, that's yeah. adorable. I love it. Well, how did you get into teaching? And tell us a little bit about your teaching. I taught literature and composition for over 30 years in... Uh, probably three or four schools only. I didn't move around a lot. I liked doing it. Um, I started teaching when I was 21. Wow, um, okay. I know, Ooh. early, because my third grade teacher, <laughs> who I corresponded with from the time I was in fourth grade, she was a nun, and she left uh, the school. She was transferred someplace else, and I was heartbroken that she left, and so she said, we'll write. And so we wrote to one another from the time I was in the fourth grade until oh. I was finished with college. <laughs> that is wow, awesome. That is impressive. That is so great. Yeah, that's so weird. So, but Not I, had, really. I had just finished college, and uh, she was a librarian, and she invited me to the uh, mother house, the convent that she belonged to, had just opened a high school, and she was to be the librarian. So she said to me, you know, you're out of school. Why don't you come up and spend a day with me and help me unpack books for the library and that kind of thing? And I said, okay, I have nothing else to do. I wasn't working. I had no job. You know, English major, what else would I be doing? You know? so, um, so I went up. I helped her out. The next day she called me and she said, you know, we have a college across the road from the high school. And one of the nuns there who teaches English fell over her dinner and got sick. Um, oh. And she's probably going to die. Oh. Do you need a job? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, I said, no. I said, I, no, I don't teach. I'm not a teacher. She said, oh, you can do it. I said, no, I can't. I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not a teacher. <gasps> and so I went up the following week, and I became a teacher. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's great. And, so you... uh, and I stayed there for nine years. I, was, I taught there for nine years. Then, as I said, I went, I went to some other schools. And then the last school I was in was a community college in Connecticut. So uh, I've taught for a long time. And that's how it started. 
That's by amazing. Accident. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. At someone That's else's great... demise. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. Well, you said probably... you were going to talk about dead bodies. That's... So... <laughs> That's right. We said it could come up. <laughs> you probably said, well, do I have to eat dinner there? <laughs> oh, me. We're horrible. We're horrible. I know. We are. Well, you're a very accomplished writer, and I'm so glad that you've submitted your poetry, which is beautiful. Yes. But um, let's talk about, so you've got a novel in progress, and That's maybe you can exciting. talk a little bit about that, and also compare your mindset, if it changes, how it changes when writing poetry versus prose. Okay, I, uh, the novel is what started me back in writing, uh, and the okay. poetry was the stopgap. When I didn't want to work on the novel, I would write some poetry. So okay. that's how the two got started. It started with, um, it's, a, it's not autobiographical, the novel, but it's, it's close to, it has autobiographical elements. Hmm. And it started out as a 700-page novel. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I know. I couldn't that's stop. Like it was one yes. of those 280,000 words or something? Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when I... I went to some kind of conference or something, uh, and uh, an editor there, I asked the, an editor there, would she look at it? And she said, yes, but you know you have to cut this down to, uh, to from 700 pages to about 125 to 150 pages. I said, Whoa. it's not possible. <laughs> right. I said, how about if you look at it as three novels? And there you said, go. She said, no. She said, no, no. She said, you have to learn to do that. She said, so yes. So I have since, it, this is the fourth uh, manifestation of the novel, and it has been cut down to about 200 pages. So you're very yeah. close. That's I'm huge. Close. I'm close. I know. And it's pain. I want you to know it's it's pain. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> killing those darlings, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It so, is those uh, one-liners that you really like. Yeah, I, right. I, I, yeah. And I think, you know, I just, I see a novel as an expansion of ideas. And yes. I see a poetry as a distillation, a condensation of ideas. And I, I so I kind of veer from one to the other. I like to talk a lot about something, or I don't. I just want to say what my feeling is at that point about something. And that, yeah. that's, to me, the difference between the two. Which I like the best, I think I like poetry the best. Yeah. And, and mm. it's just because working on a novel is work. It's really, it is, yeah. it's work. <laughs> uh, and working on poetry is joy. It just, I, I just love it so much. So, yeah, that's yeah. terrific to hear. Yeah. yeah, I think that's great. It kind of sounds like it's the key to your your novels. It's a jump start that you need to get going. I think so. Yeah, you know, but I don't think I'm ever going to want to write another novel. No, <laughs> you don't know. Well, I have all those extra pages from the first right. one. <laughs> There's got to be another novel in there <laughs> yes, somewhere. Yeah. I love it. So you're going to be doing your fourth round of, of edits, right? Yes. Pretty soon. But you're going to be doing it in Paris, correct? Yes. This sounds very lovely. So how did you decide to go to Paris? What brought this about? And how do you picture yourself there? Tell us about how you will be writing on the on a gondola. Is that Riviera or something. Yeah. Riviera. In a, in Eating a, with a Frenchman at a cafe with a baguette. Yeah. Uh, with a croissant, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah croissant. Croissant. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to be in an Airbnb in Paris <gasps> on, on one of the big streets, one of the major streets. 
And I just decided I needed a change of scenery to work on this. La- I, I'm looking at this as the last edit. I needed a change right. of scenery to work on this last edit. I needed to get away from my cats and my friends <laughs> and, and everything else, you know, in my life and just be on my own. And why not Paris? Well, I chose Paris because my favorite poet, T.S. Eliot, went there as a student in 1919, I think it was, and studied at the Sorbonne. And he stayed in a place in the, the fifth uh, district, the arrondissement. So I made sure I got a place in the 5th District. <laughs> I love it. And I'm going to walk terrific. over there and look at the building he stayed in and get inspired, I hope. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's Can terrific. I come with you? I want to come with you. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna, if, you, if you notice a lump in your luggage, don't worry about that. <laughs> right, right. Do you Good speak stuff. French? No. not. I've been, oh, I, I've been on uh, Duolingo for the past two weeks. Uh, trying to crash learn French <laughs> at least enough to understand what people are saying to me if not okay. speak it myself. So very we'll good. See. We'll Je see. parle un petit peu de français. <laughs> very oh, petit. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's a test. Do you know what I said? Because that's like one of the only things I know how to say. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I have a hilarious story, real quick, and then we need okay. to get to our last question. We're going over a little bit um, related to, pa- to Paris. Um, and I hope my, Catherine is not going to kill me over this. But anyway, oh, we were in Jesus. Paris. <laughs> yeah, she was, we were, you know, just doing some tours in Europe. and um, Like you do. And she got sick. And so oh. she needed some kind of medicine. I don't remember exactly what it was. But also, um, like, sanitary napkins. And I don't speak French. <laughs> I don't read French. She couldn't move. She couldn't leave. Oh, no. And so she sends me out. <laughs> And I'm wandering the streets oh, no. trying to find like a pharmacy. I do finally find one. Can't read a dang thing. <laughs> and the pictures don't say anything. And I ended up like going up to the counter and they didn't speak English or at least oh, not no. to me. So and you did I tried writing it out and oh my gosh, it was a disaster. I think it got solved by finding um, like a Walgreens of sorts where I could understand what stuff was, but it took a, too long. <laughs> oh my goodness. So that is your embarrassing French experience. That's a wonderful story though. <laughs> well, should I cut it out? I don't know if I should put that in. No. <laughs> You'll have to ask Catherine. You'll have to ask Catherine. Yeah, I'll get her approval. She'll be like, you cannot talk about that. Because some people are fine, you know, talking about that and some people are not fine. I think we should be yeah. fine talking about that, yeah. but a lot of people are not, you know? So you have to yeah. kind of, you know, you gotta see see what she's comfortable with, and then right, anybody else right. can be like, "Hey, okay, just skip through that part." <laughs> skip exactly, exactly. I have to put a trigger warning on here. Um, <laughs> oh, um, okay. Well, so last question, as we've gone over time a little bit, uh, share a piece of the best or your best writing advice or writing advice that you have received. You know, maybe for aspiring writers or folks that are just curious. Okay, it comes down to one word that uh, an undergraduate professor said to me when I was 21 years old. Now, that's going back a long way. And I (laughs) was an aspiring writer then, or I thought I was. And uh, and he said to me, he thought, yes, your writing is good, blah, 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 blah. Discipline. That's what he said. Discipline. Mm -hmm. He said, if you can discipline yourself you're going to be a writer. And that was Mm. the only advice he gave me. And 
now looking back, I agree with him. It's yeah. it's it's not just writing and writing and writing and thinking everything is great, but working at it. You know, the yeah. discipline, mm-hmm. you may love it, but you understand that it's something you have to do. Um, it's kind of required that you have kind of, a, I don't know, some kind of routine about it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean hours necessarily. It just means a mindset of mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. at it in a serious way. And I've been lucky. I have a, I have a friend, a former colleague, um, teacher, uh, who is absolutely heartless uh, when it comes to my poetry. Oh. Um, or cool. even a novel. She will, you know, she will tell me if something is good or if she thinks it's the worst thing I've ever done or oh. how stupid can you be? <laughs> oh. You know? and, and oh, my I, goodness. No, I like that. I, I don't know. I'm just one of those people. <laughs> I, I don't thrive on compliments. I thrive yeah. on you being tough with me. Give and me something then I, I can you know. use. Yeah, yeah, and I say to mm-hmm. I say to myself, okay, if you think I can't do this, watch, I'll show you. I, can I do love this. it. <laughs> that so, is and, the <laughs> way you handle critique. <laughs> yes, I love it. So that's uh, that's my <laughs> advice: is uh, get a good friend who's honest and disciplined. Terrific. That's fantastic. Well, I tell you, I always say that these interviews go by fast, but this has been one of the fastest, and I have enjoyed every minute of it, Sandra. I've enjoyed it, too. I was a nervous wreck, but I'm fine now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could not tell, except for that very long pause at the beginning when you were... (laughs) (laughs) I'll probably edit that out so people are like, what long pause? (laughs) 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 No, yes, truly, Sandra, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I feel like you're one of us, you know? No, it's yes. kind of fun. Like you've been on the show all the time. You're That's natural. Right. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for submitting your poetry and let, helping us or letting us uh, help you spread it out to the world. So thanks again. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, All stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.